Christian Blood, KTSA News. Weren't we just here? I could swear we were just here, <laughs> you and me. Yeah. Two minutes ago. You blink and it's over. I'm telling you. Anyway, good afternoon, CB. Good afternoon. Welcome to our dreadful little show here on 550 and 107.1 KTSA, where we ask the questions that uh, we don't have the answers to. I'm, I'm thinking that we're... Uh, you know, some days it's hard to know where to begin, but today I think we all know where we're going to begin. And I, I think we're looking at a moment of of clarity on an issue that has not had enough of it. And I think you know where I'm where I'm going with this and what I'm thinking about, and it's the story that uh, broke over the weekend about a young woman who went for a jog. She's a college student, a nursing student. She went for a jog. And never came back. They found her battered body on a jogging trail in Augusta, Georgia. And um, very quickly, due to local police work, they um, identified and apprehended a suspect. Uh, and the suspect is an illegal immigrant. So I know for a lot of people who listen to this show, the issue of the border and illegal immigration is already clear. But I think you will agree that a lot of people are still trying to figure this out or pre- or, or we are trying to get them to appreciate how big a deal this is. It is the number one issue to voters who are being polled for the primaries. It is the number one issue to voters in both parties. It is the number one issue to voters of different races and genders. It has vaulted the economy, which they always used to say in a, in a down economy or a struggling economy, that's always the number one issue. But illegal immigration and the border has vaulted that into the number one position. And this is a, this story is a moment of clarity because first of all, a young woman in the prime of her life is dead. So there are parents and and family members that are in shock that still can't believe they're never going to see her again, who can't believe that the last time they saw her was the last time they saw her. There's something very innocent about just going out for a jog. It's hard to make the wrong place, wrong time argument with that but it's not stopping people from trying the associated press did an entire story on this case from the standpoint of this is the danger female athletes face she's not a female athlete she's a student who went for a jog but their spin on this story the ap uh was this came out on uh, i think sunday no reference to the suspect's immigration status, criminal record. The angle they took was how Lincoln, Lakin Riley was murdered while jogging by herself. Puts the spotlight on the dangers female runners face. Like she shouldn't have been where she was. But we all know who shouldn't have been where she was. This dude shouldn't have been where he was, where she was. I know he's innocent until proven guilty, and I'll give him that. But it hasn't taken long to find out that 
Jose Ibarra came into the country illegally in September 2022. In fact, it's fascinating to me how fast everybody knew that, how quickly we put together, pieced together the timeline of he went to New York, he broke up with his wife or girlfriend, he went to Georgia because he knew some people, and he was living right near the place where Lake and Riley was found dead. He came across the border in El Paso illegally. He was not an asylum seeker. He was an illegal immigrant. And if you want to talk about somebody being in the wrong place at the wrong time, it's him, not her. Many of us have daughters or granddaughters. And if this doesn't get through to you, if you've tuned it out, if you've been tired of hearing about it, if you think both Trump and Biden are just old men, if this doesn't get through to you, nothing ever will. This is the price of not having a secure border. This is the price of all the platitudes and all the, all the um, rhetoric. This is the price of both parties preferring to have this as an issue rather than as a solution because it gets the voters riled up and you can raise money. But to take from this the lesson that she was a female athlete, and this is the kind of thing that just happens. That's what we were talking about last week with the library story. These politicians want you to think chaos and this crap that we're living with is normal, and it's not. If, you, if they can get you to think, well, this is what happens, jogged by herself, then they don't have to do anything about it. I'm sorry if I sound angry, but I am angry. And again, I know you understand this, but I'm kind of trying to go past and over you to people that are still trying to sort this out. This is the price. So yeah, my heart goes out to this family. We will hold them in our prayers I hope that they can find some kind of peace. I can't imagine how you do that. As a dad, I just can't imagine how you do that. I only have one child. It's like a gun to my head if anything happens to her. But everything we're learning about this, everything we're hearing about this suspect is disgusting, disappointing, demoralizing, And this is just one guy. So we don't even know who we've let in. We don't know why they came or if someone sent them. We don't know if some of them are part of a plan or waiting to be activated. We could know. We, we're a, we're, we live in a time where you can send a package across the country or around the world and you can just casually at any given moment know exactly where it is, package. You and I, think about how we live our lives. You, you probably don't think about this very much, but do you have any idea how many electronic eyes are on you all the time? And every move you make and every transaction you make and every page you look at on your phone or your computer, everything, there's somebody watching 
and collating and curating everything you do. But we're letting strangers into our country to kill Lake and Riley. Oops. I mean, that's just, that's just frickin' frustrating, isn't it? Greatest country on earth, we just landed a spaceship on the moon. Lake and Riley shouldn't have gone for a jog. Okay. And then, uh, you know, I, I gotta be honest, I know it's a big story today that, uh, looks like President Trump and former President Biden are both gonna be at the border on Thursday. Biden's going to Brownsville. And Trump, I think, is going to Eagle Pass. Trump's been to the border before. Remember all the times we were told Biden didn't have to go? There was no need to go? It's a photo op. It's a stunt when politicians go and members of Congress go. Recently, Speaker Johnson and the Republicans went. It's a, it's a stunt. Why isn't it a stunt when this guy goes? Why is he going now? Wouldn't be because of the polls, would it? Wouldn't be because of the election in eight months, would it? Maybe? Could be? Yeah. This is where you just wish you wouldn't even go. What's what's going to come out of it going? He's 81. He thinks he solved this problem. He, he's got a policy. He's the greatest ever. He's LBJ and FDR rolled into one. So what's what's going to come from him visiting the border, really? Well, they'll be able to say you went. Jim Clyburn, ranking uh, one of the ranking Democrats in the Congress and the co-chair of President Biden's re-election campaign, was defending him in an interview over the weekend against his many gaffes. And Congressman Clyburn said they have nothing to do with his brain. Here is the latest of them, cut number one. And you know, uh, stand here in front of this portrait, the man behind me here, he... Uh, he said, and I want to make sure I get the quote exactly right. He said, the better angel, he said, we must address the council and address the better angels of our nature. And we do, and we do well to remember what else he said. He said, we're not enemies, but we're friends. This is the middle of, this is the, in the part of the Civil War. He said, we're not enemies, but we're friends. We must not be enemies. Folks, and I've been around, I know I don't look it, I've been around a long while. <laughs> and, uh, and I mean this sincerely. We've gotten, politics has gotten too bitter. <sighs> Clyburn says it's not his brain, it's that he has a stutter. I, I, that is so offensive to people with a stutter, I don't even know where to begin. The quote was, I am loath to close. We are not enemies but friends. We must not be enemies. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic cords of memory stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone all over this broad land will yet swell the chorus of the Union when again touched, as surely they will be, by the better angels of our being. Abraham Lincoln, the fella behind him. I, we talked to a uh, a young man uh, named Christian Hodges on the show Friday about the youngest voters and so-called Generation Z, and he was both adamant and confident that they are becoming politically engaged and 
They're going to be a great part of the future of this country. And it was a great conversation, and I appreciated Christian. I told him that later on. But I was thinking about him and people that age a lot this weekend, because how do you ask them to look at this, this president, these excuses being made for him? It's so transparently phony. It's so insulting to your intelligence. It is, it's like having a really bad salesman work on you and you just want to say, look, not only am I not going to buy the product, but you suck at this. You're terrible. And just the whole idea, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to, I don't mean to sound like a crank, like a cranky, uh, cranky puss here, but just the idea that Biden is going to the border, like the, the, it's, it's so much worse that he's going now than if he just didn't go at all. Just don't. You know, the sight of you is dispiriting. It's discouraging. I don't like what you represent. I don't like what you symbolize. You have no new ideas. The ideas you have aren't yours. You can't articulate them for whatever reason it is. I don't think it's a stammer. not a speech pathologist, but I don't think so. If it's a stammer, it went away through the whole middle decades of his life. That would be very unusual. So anyway, that's what we have. We have this Lake and Riley story, and, you know, obviously everybody's got their take on it. I would love to hear what you're thinking about it, uh, how you're reacting to it, what what you make of it. Um, again, I know that if you're listening to this show, it's not you didn't need that story to figure out, but... But a lot of people will, you know, a lot of people will need it. And it will be clarifying and awakening, you know, to, I think, a lot of people. Congressional candidate Brandon Herrera coming up in about 10 minutes. This is also Trey Ware's sixth annual Drive to End Hunger. It's underway at KTSA.com right now. You can make a cash donation over there on the website and help serve over 100,000 people a week through the San Antonio Food Bank. Their biggest need is cash. See, with their buying power, your dollars go further than you would ever imagine. A dollar feeds seven people. So you can give right now at KTSA.com to Treyware's 6th Annual Drive to End Hunger, presented by John Wayne Service Company, and in part by Institute for Functional Health, the Pelias Law Firm, all, uh, and all sponsors are also drop-off locations for same. The... um. And I'm sorry that I sounded like I hate everybody and everything. I don't. But the uh, the story of this young girl going out jogging and stuff, it just, you know, it, you, you can understand it hits home. And you think to yourself, it, of course, prayer, grief, support for this family, no matter what the circumstances, no, no matter how it had happened, no matter who had done it, but to find out, and, and let's be honest, we were not surprised to hear it, to find out who the accused is pending his day in court, on top of just the, the incredible um, sort of cynicism 
of this issue. You know, our politicians, our political classes are shaming you right now for not doing enough for Ukrainians, for Gazans, and they'll add some others to the list as we go along. Remember how when you were a kid and your mom was trying to get you to finish what was on your plate, she'd say there are starving children in India, or there are starving people in China, or there are starving people in Ethiopia. And that was supposed to make you feel, really, when you grew up, you realized, well, what, th this uh, broccoli on my plate has nothing to do with them, but it was supposed to make you feel a certain way. And that's what our politicians are doing right now. They're trying to make you feel a certain way. We really got to get more, to, more for the Ukrainians, more for the Gazans, more for the... And then, you know, you are not supposed to notice that your country has been compromised. And it hasn't been compromised because people say a lot of times they don't care. It's, it's not a problem with them not caring. It's what they care about. The politicians that have opened the border, they care about something. They just don't care about you. They didn't care about Lake and Riley. What they care about is the political payoff of people they think will be future voters for them and their parties. And that's it. They care. They just care about something that you don't care about. 210-599-5555. So we're going to kick that around. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, a new Spurs arena. And that's our question on the JR poll today. Um, a California professor who's also a co-founder of BLM, uh, Melina Abdullah, posted to X, Why do I feel it's slightly racist? To be a Taylor Swift fan. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. Really? It's the Daily Double. We got Taylor Swift and racism. How do you put them together? I wouldn't have thought you could do it. I have to admit, I, I didn't think you could play this card on this m move. Abdullah teaches Pan-African Studies at Cal State L.A., in, uh, an original organizer, self-described original organizer of hashtag Black Lives Matter, also says she's a hip-hop scholar, womanist, truth-teller, and mama. She says, I feel, not think, that it's slightly racist to be a Taylor Swift fan in the same way that I feel when I see too many American flags. Everything is racist. And then she got all hepped up about people attacking her for saying this. And But you know she loves it. You know, people like this. They're instigators. They, they absolutely love that you notice that they said it. Um, so I guess what I'm going to take from this is I don't really like Taylor Swift, so I guess I'm not a racist. Hmm. Thank you, Melina Abdullah. Thank you for bringing some peace into my world, into my life. And those of you that do like her, well, <laughs> I don't know about you. I don't know what that says about you. And, of course, the worst offender of all, what does this tell us about Travis Kelsey? Mm. <sighs> Going to be some very tense conversations in the Chiefs locker room when his teammates find out what a big-time, humongous, racist he is for smooching Taylor Swift. 
Uh, for our next guest, when people say, let's go, Brandon, they don't mean it the way they mean it for Joe Biden. Brandon Heretta is a Republican running for uh, Congress. He's actually running in the primary against incumbent Republican Congressman Tony Gonzalez. And Brandon Heretta rejoins us on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line right now. Welcome back. Good afternoon to you. Hey, how you doing, brother? I'm, I'm good. How are you? Man, I cannot complain. It's been a been a busy week, but a good one. What's the sense of things? What's what are you hearing? What are you feeling? Because you're you know obviously you're doing something that's very hard to do in a you know Republican on Republican race, um, getting people motivated, getting the name recognition up there. How are how are you feeling with a uh, little over a week to go? Honestly, we're feeling great. Our fundraising has been fantastic. Uh, we've done something with, uh, with our fundraising that really isn't uh, attainable for most primary challengers, especially not first-time primary challengers, because we're, we're hitting the million-dollar mark on this primary, which has been super exciting. And just the general feel on the ground is that people are energized and they know that Tony Gonzalez has to go. I mean, whether it was the, uh, the censure by the Republican Party or just the fact that he's just voted against the principles of his constituents for so long, it's, uh, it's, it's a it's a known factor here that that Tony's got to go, and I think we're going to be the people to replace him. The border and illegal immigration are the number one issue nationwide. When uh, presidential primary voters have been asked in places as diverse as Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, is that the number one thing you hear when you walk your district? Absolutely, no. That that's uh, not only is it one of the biggest issues federally, but it's especially big here in District 23. District 23 shares more border with Mexico than any other district in the country. So when people talk about the border crisis, people right here in the district feel it more so than most of most places in the country. We live with it every day, so we see the effects of it. What is your um, response to, like, Texas Tribune, and I've seen other people put it this way or spin it this way, Texas Tribune did a, a story about your race with Gonzalez saying that um, he's a centrist, and you're trying to make an issue of him being a centrist. And, and of course, that district it has been very, very close in blue and red uh, for many years. So I think they were suggesting, isn't he the right kind of Republican for District 23? What is your response to that? Well, you know, they might have had a case. I personally don't like watering down my, my principles uh, just so I can try to, to, to win lukewarm. But they might have had a case for that in a pragmatic sense when Tony first ran in 2020. But there's been redistricting that's occurred since then. And last uh, election cycle, Tony won the general election by a double-digit margin. So this is a very, very red district now. So we can afford to actually put who we want in Congress, somebody that's actually going to represent real conservative values and not have to worry about the general election. It's a very strong, strong Republican district now. And I think... We're not going to have a problem keeping it red. Uh, you were um, uh, t taking a task by the San Antonio Current for a comment you made about uh, veteran suicides, and you come from a military background, military family. Um, walk us through what you said and 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 what, how how you want people to understand it. Sure, that's uh, it was a cheap shot that was made by opponents of mine because they couldn't actually attack me on policy. So what that was is an out-of-context com out comment about a joke that I said I didn't make because my veteran friends put me up to it. I said it was too far, and then, of course, they only snip 
that little piece of it. But the fact is, I've not only talked the talk about veterans' issues, I've walked the walk. I mean, two years ago, uh, me and my friends were able to raise a quarter of a million dollars in two days for the organization called the Boot Campaign. We've worked with them. We've worked with the Independence Fund. We've worked with you know a lot of other veterans groups. It's not just something that we talk about. It's something that we actually do. So to take me out of context on the issue of veterans and veteran suicide awareness was kind of an odd play considering my history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, as I think you, as I think you know, and as you've seen with uh, Donald Trump, um, there is nobody uh, you can go up against or cross that gets more vicious in my opinion at least, than the Republican establishment. There isn't anybody, and, it, and if the Republican establishment, locally or nationally, uh, was as hard on Democrats as they are on upstarts and challengers, the whole country would be in better shape. But that's really what you've done. I mean, that, that's how you've angered them, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're disturbing what even you described as probably a safe seat, right? Absolutely. And that this, it's the, the entire reason I entered this race is because I didn't think any of the other candidates on their own could take Tony to a runoff. And I had the, the, the resources, the reach, and the motivation and the time to be able to, to dedicate to this. And I wouldn't have gotten in if I didn't think we had a real shot at winning, which I still think we do. And our path to victory has never been clearer. But as far as the, the Republican establishment goes, I hate to use the age-old phrase again and again, but you know, uh, friends of mine have told me that you know, when you're catching flack, that's how you know you're above the target. That's yeah. how you know you're angering the right people. Yeah. I'm talking with Brandon Herrera right now in KTSA, Republican primary challenger to Congressman Tony Gonzalez. The, uh, lately, we've heard a lot about the, the mix of illegal immigrants crossing both in California and in Texas. We're seeing more military-aged Chinese men. Uh, recently, in one sector near San Diego, there were more Chinese, the higher pl- plurality of Chinese illegal immigrants than any other country. What does that say to you? What do you make of that? Well, I think it's pretty obvious that now it's just a, it's more than ever. I mean, it always was a, a national security issue, but now more than ever, uh, our potential enemies are exploiting it. I mean, we have uh, illegals coming in that are completely undocumented and untraceable from from China, from Africa, from from tons of different places. And again, it's not women and children. A lot of these are just military-age males that are completely uh, untracked once they enter the United States. And they're coming in every day. It's a massive, massive hole in our security. I mean, I don't feel, I feel a little silly getting molested by the TSA uh, so I don't do something while we have a completely open border with people who have ill intent against this country coming across and are not being tracked in any meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that you recently, or your campaign, I guess, recently sent out a news release about some text messages that were um, claiming you are a pro-Biden Democrat. What, what have you been able to find out about the origin of those or, or what you've done about those? We've got a list of, of people that we, we kind of have assumed this came from but the the fact of the matter is it, it i don't think it's going to land it was uh it was a blatant lie which is actually punishable by law i believe because it was uh it was it was fraudulent and because it claimed to be reaching out to democrats to vote for pro-biden democrat brandon herrera you know all this mess but those messages are very targeted anybody who knows how political advertising works 
knows that that only went out to Republicans and probably only Republican primary voters. So it was a really sneaky, underhanded tactic, and whoever did it knows exactly what they were doing. But I don't think it's stopping our momentum. Our grassroots is still strong. Our volunteers are still strong. And I think at the end of the day, we're going to be the one to take Tony to the runoff. Do you know who did it? We have some assumptions. Uh, we, we haven't been able to, tra to track it down. And to be honest with you, I haven't put too much thought into it because at the end of the day, I, st I still think our path to victory is very solid. So, um, you know, it might be something we pursue in the future, but I, I'm not wasting too much time and energy on it at the moment. So I keep hearing you say it sounds like your goal here is to get him to a runoff, uh, you know, and, and, and extend this this race, right? Well, the idea would be, obviously, you know, we'd love to take it outright. That would make things a lot easier for us. But uh, with so many uh, other contenders in the race, well, many of whom I, I genuinely like, you know, I think that we're all kind of on the same team where we're just drawing votes away from Tony because if we get him below that 50% margin, he's then forced to go one-on-one. -on -one. And uh, I don't think it's something he's prepared for, and he's going to have to stand on his own record, which he can't do, against a... Uh, a runoff challenge where only motivated voters who really pay attention and really do their research are going to show up for. And research on Tony Gonzalez is not his friend. All right. Brandon Heretta challenging him, uh, Tony Gonzalez, in the primaries and joining us on KTSA. Always great to have you. I hope you'll come back again soon, and thanks for the time today. I appreciate it, brother. You have a good one, man. You can join the show, the Jack Riccardi Show, at 210 599 I uh, I did not see this when it aired, but somebody sent me a clip and then I uh, or a link and I watched some of it. Uh, there's a weekend show on CNN with a guy named Smirkanish, Mike Smirkanish, and he had Bob Costas on to, t to talk about the election. Which I know, right? Like Bob Costas, and you know I like Bob Costas as a sportscaster. In his day, he was one of the preeminent network sports guys. He was great calling baseball. He was a great studio host. He's a fantastic interviewer. I mean, I, I can't take anything away from his sports journalism. And I'm going to say this, and it might get me in trouble, but I'm a sports fan, but like sports journalists know a lot more about what they talk about than I do. I can have an opinion about it, but I take my hat off to them on sports-related subjects. They're better prepped. They have a deeper knowledge. When they get into politics, they're on my turf. And Bob Costas just sounds ignorant and emotional and out of it. So he gets on, and this must have been rehearsed because nobody would just talk like this. Smirkanish asks him, like, one question. And like a doll with a string in his chest, Costas just goes off on a uh, Trump derangement syndrome rant. Cut number two. Listen to this. He is by far the most disgraceful figure in modern presidential history. He's only become more disgraceful since 2016 and since 2020. He is a bubbling cauldron of loathsome traits, and it's only those who are actually suffering from Trump derangement syndrome, which is the way they and Fox News and all the rest of MAGA media try to brush aside all the legitimate criticisms of Trump. You have to be in the throes of some sort of toxic delusion in a toxic cult to believe that Donald Trump has ever been in any sense 
emotionally, psychologically, intellectually, or ethically fit to be president of the United States. But his supporters are locked in on that. I think it's kind of funny that somebody that made his uh, career covering sports would be talking about a um, cult following. Like, <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever watched sports? Sports is the most obvious, regular example of cult following that there is. I mean, grown men paint their chests the color of their team. People, you know, I mean, I don't, and I, and, and I'm fine with it. I mean, do it. If you want to do it, do it. But, um, it's just, it's funny to me that all of a sudden there are these highly motivated, extremely concerned people that Bob Costas doesn't agree with, or I guess particularly like, and they're a bubbling cauldron. By the way, who talks that way? What is he, Cruella DeVille? Who's, have you ever used bubbling cauldron in conversation? I don't think I ever have. But when you hear him, and again, you know him, right? You've seen Bob. You, you know Bob. You've let Bob into your living room. Bob knows baseball. But what I hear is not just somebody that doesn't like my ilk or disagrees with me. I hear somebody that is too good to figure it out. Like doesn't need to be, doesn't need to think, doesn't need to listen. I know those people are NG. And, of course, Smirconish just sits there and lets him, you know. But I, I guess what I'm getting at here is, and, I, and I, I'm trying to tread gently and politely, just because you know a lot about sports, which is great, and I admire that, doesn't mean you know a lot about everything. Doesn't make you an expert on everything. Doesn't mean that you don't have to know or understand people that are different from you. And Bob sounds like a guy that's never, probably never gets challenged and never will. Obviously wouldn't take it very well if he did, you bubbling cauldron, you. He is a bubbling cauldron of loathsome traits. Also, I love the idea that if you want to say that when you look at politics, and I've heard people say this, it's not what he's saying, but if you wanted to say when you look at politics, you really don't get like either side's devotion, I could understand that. Like if he, if he said, you know, in fairness, uh, I can't imagine how people could be devoted to Biden either. But all he said about Biden, he went on, I didn't play the whole thing, but what he went on to say about Biden in this interview is that he's angry at Biden, but get this, what he's angry at Biden about is that Biden should step aside for a stronger candidate to defeat Trump. Biden's great, he's done everything great, he's fantastic, He just he's just a little old. That's his only problem. So, if you want to earn my respect, at least admit that there are devotion, devoted, mindless people on both sides. But that doesn't make everybody you disagree with mindless and you know culty bubbling cauldron wow all right i'm gonna let you go stir your cauldron since we got together last friday the uh republican voters in south carolina had a primary and uh donald trump won that primary 59 to 39 percent over the former governor of south carolina nikki haley 
And I think by most lights, he won by an impressive margin. I would call that a landslide. Um, I would say that if you get crushed in your home state, meaning she was much further behind Trump in South Carolina, for example, than she was in New Hampshire, I would say that is meaningful, right? In response to her defeat in South Carolina, the Koch brothers, or Koch brothers, is that how you say it? Koch brothers, I guess, the big Republican donors, uh, with a pack called Americans for Prosperity, have announced they will stop funding her campaign. They were big funders of her campaign. The CEO of Americans for Prosperity says the group will function, will focus on congressional races instead of Nikki Haley's presidential race. Uh, the no labels people, say they are now interested in Nikki Haley for a third-party run for the presidency. Joe Cunningham, the national leader of No Labels and a former Democratic congressman from South Carolina, uh, said on Fox and Friends that uh, they take their hats off to her for staying in and sticking with it, uh, but we're looking for good quality people, and Nikki Haley is somebody we would definitely be interested in. i got to admit, and you may know more about this than I do, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not real knowledgeable about No Labels because I really haven't been interested in them. But I thought, and correct me if I'm wrong, you may know, I thought one of their rules was that they wanted people who had not run in the Republican or Democratic primaries. Because if you are calling yourselves no labels, I mean, I'm sorry if I'm taking this too literally, but if you're calling yourself no labels, don't you want people that have... Yes, right, so... Doesn't she have a label? I understand, and you know, there's other groups besides no labels. Joe Kopser, the former Democratic candidate uh, who ran against uh, Chip Roy, he's got some group that I get emails about. I I understand these nonpartisan efforts and, and crusades. But you know, and I don't want to digress, it almost makes me more cynical. I mean, just, you know, if you're a Republican, if you're a Democrat, if you're conservative, if you're liberal, if you're centrist, just, I'll take the label. What I'd like you to do is live up to the label. See, I don't have a problem with the label. I have a problem when you have the label, and then I open your container, and then I don't, that's, that's not what was in there, you know? So I don't need a world of no labels, I need a world where people's labels are truthful. If it says peanut butter on the label, there's peanut butter in the jar. If it says conservative on the label, there's a conservative in the jar. Not that we want to put people in jars. Unless we punch holes in the, you know. 210-599-5555. So I thought the no labels people couldn't have somebody like Nikki Haley, but I may be wrong about that, and that's okay if I am. I, um, I, I, I guess people are saying, why doesn't she drop out? Why doesn't she drop out? It's not hurting Trump that she's in. It's not hurting unity that she's in. In fact, I guess Nikki Haley functions as kind of a scratching post, right? Like, if it wasn't for her presence in the race, Donald Trump's participation in these primaries would be uninteresting and non-competitive. And so her presence in the race means that 
there is a story to tell, there is something to cover, Trump gets to come out and give a victory speech. Um, in his victory speech, I thought he was pretty gracious. He hardly mentioned her at all. I don't know if he even mentioned her name. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know what the hurry is about this. I, I, I agree with you. There's no chance that she's going to be the Republican nominee. There's no chance that she's going to be Donald Trump's running mate. There's no chance that if something happens where Trump can't run, I know somebody was saying on our show last week, well, maybe she's staying in, Jack, because if, he goes to prison or is ru- ruled ineligible in some yet-to-be-determined way. She would be there as the the next man up. But that isn't true. In the extraordinary circumstance that the Republicans have to replace their apparent nominee, Donald Trump, they're going to replace him with somebody who they believe Trump voters who are 80-plus percent of the Republican primary vote, will support. So it's not like they could just put her in and everybody will be, oh, okay. That's not going to happen. I'm not running her down. I don't hate her. I don't think she's evil or the worst thing ever. I just don't think those theories are likely to happen. What do you think? What are your thoughts after... South Carolina, 210-599-5555. Well, how do you feel about the no-labels thing? I was saying, I it seems very gimmicky to me. Uh, I, w- I would just rather people declared what they're for and then were true to it. You know, it would be a real improvement if people we elect to office then performed as they promised to. I mean, we have a president right now who said over and over and over and over and over, that he would unite the country. Now, he was saying a lot of other things that I didn't like and I wouldn't have ever voted for, but I wonder how many people voted for Joe Biden for the simple reason that they thought the last few years before him had been tempestuous and tiring and a bubbling cauldron. I just can't stop using that. i got to work that in. Don, maybe you can clip out the, the Bob <laughs> Costas bubbling cauldron. It could be a hot button. Anyway... So how, how many people voted for Joe Biden because they thought he would be grandfatherly and centrist and pragmatic and calming, and, and, and he's not, right? So it's not that we need no labels. It's that we need the labels to be true, accurate. 210-599-5555. This was interesting. Hunter Biden did an interview. Um, I don't know where this was. Maybe Axios? What do you think of this? He said in the interview that it's very important for him to stay sober. He, he says he's been sober since mid-2019. And he said it's very important to stay sober both for himself, and he says, I have something much bigger than even myself at stake. We are in the middle of a fight for the future of democracy, said the twice-indicted 54-year-old. You have to believe that you're worth the work. You'll never be able to get sober. But I often think of the profound consequences of failure here. So he is saying his sobriety is vital to the future of democracy. Now, I try to be very respectful of people who are on the journey of sobriety. Some I have some very good friends who are. I've, I've known people who've gone through it. And you, 
I shouldn't say past tense. You, you're, you're always going through it. So I'm, I'm very respectful, very supportive. Um, I'm not mocking you. But I don't think you can really say it this way with any credibility. You really are only responsible for yourself. That's my understanding of it anyway. And that's a lot. That's, that's huge. To me, and you can disagree, and that's fine, we can disagree about this, it feels very manipulative and kind of skanky to say, um, I'm staying sober for, for democracy. I'm staying sober because the country needs me to. You're Hunter Biden, okay? <laughs> and um, I hope you are sober, and I hope you stay sober for your sake. But don't don't get any ideas about the rest of us. And by the way, this future of democracy thing, it is so much bigger than one person. When somebody tells you they're saving democracy or their newspaper is saving democracy or their campaign is saving democracy or if you make them president or elect them into office, they'll save democracy, right away you know you're dealing with somebody who's at best delusional and at worst really dishonest because democracy is the work of generations. It's the work of, of nations. It's the work of a people. Saving it, which I agree is a task to be performed, it's going to take a lot of people. It won't come down to one person. It won't come down to one election. Don't think it'll come down to Hunter Biden. 210-599-5555. What do you think of, um, or do you think, do you even know who Byron Donalds is? Byron Donalds is a congressman from Florida. He was an early uh, passenger on the Trump train and uh, often is at Trump rallies, he was asked to speak as the opening speaker at CPAC last week. And we didn't have a chance to get to this. I, I actually didn't hear this even till this weekend. Um, we had so much going on in the news. We just, CPAC kind of came and went. But anyway, this was a really good speech. It's about 20 minutes long if you ever get a chance to hear it. But Byron Donald's, might have vaulted himself onto or up the list for running mates for Donald Trump. And what stands out about Congressman Donalds in this talk is it's very straightforward, down-to-earth. He's not giving a political speech, my friends. You know, it's This is how you talk to people about current events who are not really into current events. And I thought this was a moment. I mean, like, I, I th I'm serious now. I think this might, he might now be a top three possibility uh, for running mate. And, and should be. And a lot of his speech was about leadership, American leadership. Uh, for example, this is how he talked about NATO, cut number five. But let's look at NATO for a moment. A lot's been made about NATO over the last couple of weeks. There was a time where America did have to carry all the freight for NATO. 
because the countries in Europe were rebuilding themselves from World War II. And the spirit of the American people, we were there to do that. We were willing to do that. But now those other countries have to come along for the ride as well. You know, I equate it to some of your great sport teams. Everybody remembers the Chicago Bulls of the 80s. They had Michael Jordan. They didn't have much else. Michael Jordan dropped 63 points in the Boston Garden against the vaunted 86 Celtics. But that Chicago Bulls team lost that series against a better and deeper team. If the world is actually going to have security, then it can't just be America scoring all the points, grabbing all the rebounds, passing out all the assists, blocking all the shots. We need our allies in NATO to step up and do their part. He spoke with great clarity about our allies, our enemies, commitment to Israel. Um, he talked about leadership, as I said, throughout the speech, worldwide and on issues. Um, he talked about the border, and he made a great comparison, which we've made on this show as well, to the ratification of the Constitution at the at the time that this, the original states were ratifying the Constitution, they would never have agreed to the position, the junior partner position, that the Biden administration wants to put the states in on immigration. Cut number six. The states that ratified the Constitution of the United States would have never, ever, ratified a constitution that would have allowed the federal government to allow an invasion into the United States. They never would have signed it. Those states would have kept their militias and they'd have said, I'll see you guys later, maybe we can work some things out, but that document is nuts and there's no way I'm going to be a part of it. And he talked about, as we did earlier on this show today, the way in which you can see that Lots of different people across many different sections of our country and viewpoints are united in their outrage about illegal immigration. Cut number seven. Right now, what's going on in Detroit, in Denver, in Boston, we already know about what's going on in New York. You have the NYPD officers, and by the way, the NYPD officers, they're white, they're black, and they're Hispanic, they're men and they're women, and they're being beaten in, the sh in their own streets of their own city where they are charged to help protect the people of New York, and they're being beat up by people who shouldn't be in the country in the first place. What kind of insanity is this? And so for my colleagues on Capitol Hill who are concerned about, oh, well, well, Byron, we, we don't win government shutdowns. I say there's never been an issue facing this country that has united the American people more. And securing our border and securing our nation is not a conservative position. It is not a liberal position. It is not a white position or a black position. It is an American position. And that is what everybody in our country wants to see happen, and they want it to happen today. You know, somebody made a great point in my email about Byron Donalds that usually when you speak to a CPAC, because it's a it's a very, very, you know, conservative-friendly audience, you kind of throw a lot of red meat out there, and most speakers wind up 
delivering speeches that are loaded with applause lines. It's like a pep rally, you know, which is which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But what stood out for me here was I felt like Byron Donalds might be auditioning a little bit for something bigger because he was speaking to, yes, to this audience, but really past this audience. And like I said, having a little bit of interest in professionally the way people use words and communicate, and I'm, I'm always interested to watch how other people do it because it's what I do for a living. I I really was impressed by his delivery and his choice of words and analogies because this is how you break through to people who might normally find politics distasteful or impenetrable. It was clear, it was relatable, it was basic. You could you could walk away from it remembering his main points and his theme. And I just thought, you know, that all of that and his youth and his energy would make a great running mate. And not the traditional kind and not the way people are talking about uh, some of these uh, conservative uh, Republican governors or people that ran for president like Tim Scott or Ron DeSantis. Uh, Byron Donalds just looks like a really like a really good possibility at this point. Anyway, so we're talking about Byron Donalds, who gave the opening uh, speech, the welcoming speech at CPAC last week. I think it was Thursday. And uh, I think put himself in the uh, running or on the short list for Trump's running mate. I know a lot of people really don't think it matters who he picks. He says he, it won't probably make a difference to the outcome of the election. But it's one of those things that will be picked at and analyzed and parsed. And then that person will also be the subject of a lot of can this person carry the mantle and go forward and so i think it does make it interesting and and important uh patrick is on the jack riccardi show on ktsa patrick good afternoon good afternoon jack yeah i uh i've been watching him i guess for maybe about a year now just off and on and you know he has a degree in finance and marketing and i always wonder did uh donald's uh did marketing make uh, Donald's or did Donald's make marketing? I mean, I was telling my wife a couple of months ago, you know, we just don't have any statesmen anymore. And then I listened to him talk and I'm going, that's what a statesman does. And uh, I'm, I'm just amazed that, uh, you know, he's been in the background for so long and that he hasn't been on point for some reason. Well, you probably know more about him than I do then, uh, Patrick. I mean, I, I, I thought he was a little bit uh, foreground in that I believe he was uh, pretty prominent in his support of, of Trump before, and I feel like he's been out there in, in front on some of the issues in the Republican House. Uh, but, of course, the Republican House is a place where political careers go to die because there's so much drama about the speakership. It's kind of hard to distinguish yourself in any other way, right, unless you're running for speaker or you're talking about the speaker. He seems to be apart from all that. I don't, do, do you agree? I mean, he doesn't seem to partake in in that drama. And you, I agree. I think you picked a good word. He he talks about statesmanlike uh, concerns. Well, in the early years, he, he started out with the Tea Party there, and, uh, you know, he kind of made his bones there, mm -hmm. and that's where they encouraged him to uh, uh, to move up uh, and run for mm -hmm. different offices. And I thought to myself, you know, 
you got to be pretty conservative to to uh, to get involved with the, P- the Tea Party movement and and move ahead because you really have to stand on your principles because you're going to catch a lot of flack. I don't care what color you are, and uh, you know uh, he was referred to as Uncle Tom because he was with the Tea mm-hmm. Party and all the stuff. Kind of the same stuff that they referred to uh, the Supreme Court Justice uh, Clarence Thomas. You know that those insulting. Uh, just disrespectful that, you know, if somebody the other day said, well, well, you're a racist. I said, well, you need to quit playing that card because it's a joker and people are tired of listening to it. You know, so you got to you got to kind of wonder. I'm hoping that his political career doesn't become a political career. I hope he moves up in a statesman like manner. And, you know, Mm -hmm. just like you said, I, I never thought about him being vice president, but it sure sounds good to me. Patrick, thanks for the call. Great insight on Byron Donalds. Great points. Appreciate you as always. Uh, 210-599-5555. The, I don't have it in front of me, but they did a straw poll at CPAC of who they would like, or the the attendees. And I want to say um, Vivek was up there, and I think Christy Nome was up there. Um, but I would put, in my in my thinking, I'm not ranking them. I'm not doing... I'm not doing the Paul Feinbaum rankings, but I would probably think right now, for me personally, if I was advising Trump, which we know I'm not, um, I'd probably be thinking Vivek, uh, Byron, uh, maybe um, mm, still do kind of like DeSantis, but I don't think those two guys can get together, uh, Trump and DeSantis. I don't think they can... They can make that work. But the other thing that's interesting about both DeSantis and Byron Donalds is, if I'm not mistaken, isn't Trump's legal state of residence Florida? I think he'd have to switch his voter registration or his legal state of residence to another state because somewhere buried in the Constitution is an obscure um, requirement that the president and vice presidential candidates are not from the same state. And, of course, historically, over the years, nobody would have done that anyway because they used to think it was important to have geographic diversity and you were supposed to pick a candidate from another part of the country that you didn't have strength in, and so nobody would have ever, in any event, wanted to pick somebody from their own state. But now that we don't think that way or that doesn't really matter anymore, and Trump is certainly a national figure, he's not thought of in terms of a state, he doesn't have a base in one state, right? So I, I guess they could get around that if if he picked either Donalds or or DeSantis. But I, I like those choices. I'm not not I'm not really sure that that any of the names are bad names. But I would be caution. I would be careful about not picking somebody who's just sort of like hot right now or in the moment, because you are picking somebody that could become president, and you are picking somebody that should be capable of, even if Trump completes a term and serves the whole four years, you you would like, I think, right, for that person to be somebody that could carry the work forward beyond those four years. So both ready to step in during and certainly a good choice uh, for beyond. And I just, some of the people that they throw names around I, seem kind of lightweight to me. I'm just not, I don't see them that way, but that's me. 210-599-5555, asking you on the JR poll today, powered by River City Oral Surgery, about the story from last week that there is 
a plan by the UT board to sell or transfer the Institute of Texan Culture's property to the city of San Antonio, which would be then a prelude to the city and the Spurs building a new Spurs arena where the Institute for Texan Cultures is. And so today's JR poll, is that a good idea or a bad idea? I, I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm just, before I even get into an opinion, I'm kind of blown away that anyone thinks that's big enough. Like, I, I really don't understand the thinking here at all. When you Have you ever been to a Spurs game? I don't go regularly, but have you ever been to one? Either at the AT&T Center, now the Frost Bank Center, or the Alamo Dome? Have you... So you, you know what I'm talking about with, like, the massive traffic snarls and the logistics of getting fifteen or 20,000 people in cars in and out of there. Who, who thinks that's a big enough piece of land? And it's locked by the freeway and by major city streets that are obviously aren't going anywhere. We're not going to... We're not going to close major streets like market or commerce or, I mean, like what, what is the thinking there? I, I'm not an expert, but that does not look like nearly a big enough area. It doesn't look like an area you could put parking in, you know? And then secondarily, and we talked about this last week, it's kind of funny how the people that would normally be screaming about history and preserving it and respecting it seem to not get or get into this fight at all. Maybe they're just realists who figure, well, it's one thing to oppose a hotel chain, Jack, but you you can't oppose the Spurs. Can't you can't you can't win that one if you can't beat them, join them. But you and I both know that if if it was a hotel chain or a developer that just wanted to slap up a high rise tower, there'd be people coming out of the woodwork with concerns about culture and gentrification and can't we have anything in this town that's that's you know historic? And the Institute for Texan Cultures is not only part of our hemisphere history, but it's also a repository of and a focal point of history and culture. It, but but I mean, oh well, if it's a Spurs arena, oh well, then okay, you know, this is that's just funny to me. But the the main thing I would object to would be the size of the parcel. It doesn't look big enough, but uh, it's not a done deal yet, and a lot of this is still in the rumor phase. What we do know is there's interest in putting the Spurs downtown. That's definitely high on somebody's list, and maybe this will be the site, and maybe it won't be. Jr. Poll, powered by River City Oral Surgery. Good idea, bad idea. New Spurs Arena on the site of the Institute of Texan Cultures, where uh, many a field trip has been had. Uh, 210-599-5555. Jaime is on the radio. Hi, Jaime. Hello. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? How many, how many arenas are we going to build for one sports team that has dominated, like has a monopoly on our city, doesn't allow any other major sport teams to come in, 
has a coach that doesn't like most of the people because you don't vote like him. I mean, how many times are we going to be doing this? Look at their record there now. We're just going to be building an arena after we got we got the Alamo Dome. We got the Spurs Arena at the AT&T Center or whatever it's called now, Frost Bank Center. I mean, we've built so many things for this team that really doesn't give much back to the to to the city. And, and, and I mean, how many times are we going to do this? I mean, I'm tired of seeing big arenas being built mm-hmm. and nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. They always promise us. Oh, we're mm-hmm. going to get this NFL team. We're going to get this major league team. But they, deep down inside, they want to have the monopoly in any other team that comes in here. That's why I'm pretty sure most of those teams don't come to us. Stop building all these, what we used to call elephants all the time out here that are not going to do any good for us. Thank you. Oh, okay, Jaime. Jaime yep. doesn't want to talk about it. Just wanted to, just wanted to get that off his chest. Uh, well, I'll say this, and I would have said it to him if he had stayed. Um, one thing I will say in their defense is I don't think the Spurs are the reason we don't have other teams. Like, clearly with the NFL, the reason we don't have other teams is Jerry Jones and the Cowboys. You, you may be right in that that overlaps the preference of the Spurs, but the real driver for the NFL, and I think this is something that is only a matter of time, but for now, Jerry Jones has held out that, that San Antonio and Austin are the secondary market of the Dallas Cowboys. It is a very unique situation in the country, and it is very lucrative. It's not a satellite market. It's a major secondary market for the Cowboys. So I wouldn't blame the Spurs as much as I blame Jerry Jones as far as not having an NFL team. The other reason we don't have other teams, and I know this is not a popular thing to say, but it's true. We're big enough. We have the population. It looks right on paper. But we're not a rich city. You you, you don't just need people. You need people that can buy seat licenses and season tickets, and we we don't have that kind of population. It's not a put-down, but the truth is that if politicians wanted baseball and football and whatnot to come here, they would need to grow the prosperity of this region because sports is looking for money, not just warm bodies. They don't give the tickets away for free. To be a professional sports patron means you got to have disposable income. And we're relatively weak on people with that kind of disposable income. I mean, we can go to the movies and the mall and out to eat, but it's a cutoff for us. It's it's something we don't have. Even Austin has much more of it than we do. Smaller population, but Austin's population relative to ours is has a lot more money to spend on this stuff, which is why the Spurs have flirted a little bit with Austin which is why people say anything that happens in the future is going to be a metroplex kind of thing. What they're saying is we want to combine the greater population and the proven sports enthusiasm of San Antonio with the the big bucks in Austin. So I I don't um but I mean, you know, Jaime's points are good. I, the thing about how many arenas, if you look at every if you look at every sports franchise around the country, every few decades, 
they need a new arena. What usually happens, what often happens, is the new one gets built on top of the old one, and we don't see the old one anymore. What's weird about San Antonio is, yes, if we were to build downtown, we would have the Alamo Dome, we would have the Frost Bank Center, and we would have the new place, and it'd be like, three arenas in my lifetime? You know, you, it would be unusual. But remember, then a lot of cities... To build the new one, you had to knock down the old one. It isn't there anymore. People forget. The minute you knock it down, they forget about it. Like we've forgotten about the convention center arena because it's not there anymore. What would you say the difference is between finger pointing and responsibility? What is the difference between finger pointing and responsibility, given that they're kind of the same thing? Is there a context difference? Is there a nuance? Because tonight, what we're hearing is that there are people pointing fingers over the death of a young woman in Georgia. The um, death of Lakin Riley, an Augusta University nursing student who was found uh, Friday after uh, uh, going for a jog and never coming back. She was on a jogging trail. And we're given to understand it was a trail she'd been on before and that many women in her area jogged on. Sounds a lot like the park trails that we have here in San Antonio where people jog and walk and ride bikes and stuff like that. So she was where she was supposed to be. She was where she felt safe. I don't know, Lakin, but perhaps she was even one of those people that loves jogging, loves working out, gets, you know, looks forward to it. And now she's dead. And to point out, to finger point, the suspect in her death is an illegal immigrant from Venezuela who came into the country across the Texas border illegally in September of 2022, who made his way to New York, who eventually found himself in Georgia after his partner, his wife or girlfriend broke up with him who we are learning tonight was a suspect in sexual assault cases in Virginia, uh, assault of, of two other young women around the age of Lakin. So people can say Republicans are pouncing and talk radio is finger-pointing, to which I guess I would say, no, this is who's responsible. Joe Biden is responsible. His policies are responsible. Lakin Riley wasn't in the wrong place. This accused killer was. He should not have been here. He should not have been in the country. And yes, this is a moment of clarity about our open borders policy. I know we have open borders for a lot of reasons and reasons that serve a lot of different masters. I know there are Democrats that want replacement voters. I know there are Republicans who want an issue they can fundraise off of. I know there are businesses that want cheap labor. I know all that. You know it. So there may be many people that have enabled this policy, but there's one man who ran on reversing a working border, who has spoken of an open border, who has enabled and 
basically directed the destruction of a sovereign border. And I think it is holding responsible. Somewhere in America, there ought to be a Fannie Willis prosecutor who would say, we're going to try Jose Ibarra and we're going to make his co-conspirator Joe Biden. I know that's a stunt. But it would make the point, wouldn't it? What do you think about that? The Associated Press actually wrote about Lake and Riley's murder as typical of the quote-unquote dangers that female athletes face. But I have news for you, AP. If you keep letting people into the country that are criminals, if you allow countries like Venezuela to do what Cuba did, which is empty out its prisons and send us its murderers and its rapists and its pedos and its skanks, if you allow that, it won't just be female joggers. It won't just be young women that went out for a jog. It will be young women that are walking to their car, going to their job, attending school, parking in a parking garage, out at night. And it won't be just red states or blue states or somebody else's kid. It will be yours. I don't wish this on anyone. I can't, as a, as a dad, I can't imagine what Lakin's family has, has gone through and is going through. Imagine having to identify your daughter on a slab. Imagine getting this call. Imagine having to make the calls you would make to a grandparent or an uncle or an aunt or a best friend. Imagine looking around your house at photographs that now mean more than ever, but you can't bear to see them. Imagine opening a drawer or a closet on a maybe a relatively good day several weeks from now. You're having a pretty good day. You're starting to feel a little bit like yourself again. And there, unexpectedly, in front of you is a memory. And it all comes back again. If you've ever grieved like that, you have some idea of what they're going through. And if you haven't, I hope you never have to. But we have to be clear about the responsibility for this. It's not a philosophical argument or a hypothetical argument. Well, you know, it could have happened. Anybody could have done it. And we already have people in this country that prey on young women. I, I, I know all that. But if this is the culprit, and we have to give him his day in court, and we have to, you know, innocent until proven guilty. But if we wantonly, knowingly pursued a policy, that enabled him, probably even lured him to come to this country. Because if he is some sort of weirdo, he didn't just come to the land of opportunity, he came to the land of opportunity. Victims of all kinds, everywhere you look. We have to be clear about this. I know you are, but we need more people to wake up. 210-599-5555. So we're going to talk about that. We've got uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump both visiting the Texas-Mexico border this week. Trump goes to, I think, Eagle Pass, and President Biden goes to Brownsville, if I have that right. I was saying earlier that, um, just speaking for myself, 
I do not need one more politician. I do not need one more photo op. I do not need one more tour of the border where they walk along with Border Patrol agents that should be doing something else. They take a tour. They meaningfully point at things and talk, and they show concern, and they furrow their brows. And I'm talking about all politicians. Just enough. Enough with that. I don't need you visiting earthquakes, floods, train derailments. Don't need you to visit the border. Don't need any more speeches about the border. Don't need another slogan about the border. We don't need more laws, believe it or not. We really don't. The concept of a sovereign nation's border is a timeless, timeless concept. This isn't something new. You, you pass a new law when you have some sort of new hey, we've never dealt with this before, this is a new technology, or people have never... We know what to do. We know it so well that we help other countries do it. We're famous in the world for our defense of other countries' borders. And if it was another country's borders, we would be precise and focused in our outrage and our action Somehow we've forgotten our number one ally, the United States' number one ally, supposed to be the American people. Somehow we forgot them. Somehow the Congress critters forgot to fund, act, defend, speak up for us and Lakin. 210-599-5555. Plus we're also talking about this idea of a Spurs Arena downtown. Now, you may be just opposed to building them anything, but I'm, I'm open to hearing ideas. I want to hear ideas, and I want to hear people's arguments for and against. Just personally, though, when I hear about Institute for Texan Cultures, I, maybe I'm missing something, but that doesn't even seem like a big enough or well-located enough piece of land. When you consider all the, the footprint of a, of an arena, it's not just the building, it's the parking and the, I guess you could have people park at the Alamo Dome and you'd say, well, Jack, the, the parking for the new thing will be the Alamo Dome parking. So that's okay. But it still seems like a very small postage stamp for something that maybe should be able to breathe a little. And are we, are we rushing into this with this kind of insecurity that San Antonio has about being a world-class city and it puts us on the map and we got to do what we're so easily appealed to by politicians on talking points like that. And I say this with love, but just don't, don't let them stampede you into yet another thing that will put us on the map. That will make us world class. We've got to keep up. It's a kind of weird politics. It's not visionary. It's not. It's not somebody saying, "I have this plan for how we grow and and prosper." And part of it is, yes, we're going to have this professional sports team. I mean, say what you want about the 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 old the old guard, but people like and I know you're going to hate me for saying this. But there was a time when we had visionary leaders. 
And I think Henry Cisneros was one of them. I disagree with him on almost everything. But since he was mayor, we've had a, a bunch of very small-minded, sort of small vision, no vision people. At least he had a vision, you know? I, he was a Democratic, uh, liberal, and he had his issues, but the guy had a vision. Red McCombs had a vision, you know? Um, today, the loudest voices in our city are people that are screaming about the climate and racism and sort of in-the-moment stuff. you got to have a vision for this stuff. you got to think big. And I, when, I, when I hear somebody try to appeal to you with a sort of keep up with the Joneses thing, and that's happening right now with the Spurs, I, just don't fall for that. That's so petty, right? By the way, our destination for Throwback Thursday this week will be 1982. It's coming up Thursday. Uh, 210-599-5555. So we're talking about um, the uh, murder of this young woman in Georgia by uh, allegedly, we have to say, by an illegal immigrant um, who came into the country and um, was throwing off warning flags left and right, and apparently attacked other women. We have the uh, border visit by the candidates. We have the new Spurs Arena. Will there be one? Will it be downtown? 210-599-5555. David is on the radio. David, welcome to the Jack Riccardi Show. Thank you, Jack. I really enjoy your show. I live down near Corpus Christi and listen to you most every afternoon. I appreciate really enjoy that. your dish segments on Friday. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I used to live in San Antonio many years ago, and I still come to San Antonio to uh, concerts and just get away weekends like that. And I've been to the now Frost Bank Center a number of times. And in my view, it's in much better shape than the Alamo Dome was when everybody left, mm-hmm. I have I have yet to hear a reason why a new arena is needed. Uh, yeah, I'm I, I, I'm with you on that, David. I think what they're saying, those who are saying it, is that they think it should be downtown, and that should be co-located with a baseball stadium. So the missions would move in from the west side, the Spurs would move in from the east side, and there, there'd be some advantage to all that together. Um, but what's funny is everybody I talk to who goes to Spurs games is also the kind of person that usually doesn't like to go downtown. They, they avoid downtown. So I, I would think it would be an advantage to say, hey, you can get to our arena Easily, there's highways, you're not going to be in congestion, you're not going to have downtown crime. Like, are they missing the advantages of where they are right now? Well, I can certainly understand the problems with downtown having been down there a number of times during special events. And I don't have to tell you that the traffic is just horrible. Uh, it, out on the east side, it's bad enough, but it's manageable in my view. You can get out and get in relatively easy. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, I would rather go to an event at the AT&T Center if I had my choice, and I know they're two different facilities, but I'd rather go to the AT&T Center than the Alamo Dome just for the reason you just cited. It is just easier to get in and out. Not easy, but easier. And it's the building is, in, in my view, excellent shape. Yeah. Uh, I can remember the Alamo Dome, they had certain areas closed off they were having issues with plumbing. Uh, I'm sure there's many other things that I don't know about. Uh, and why that was, I don't know. Mm. But just, you know, building a new multi-billion dollar building just because I want doesn't sound like fiscal responsibility to me. No. And again, no. I don't live in San Antonio, so I don't have a dog in this fight. Right. I think you're raising a good question, and that should be the question. Um, what is the, what are the reasons? And it's not a reason to say, well, they have Wemby or other teams are building new facilities. What is the reason this city, this facility needs to be downtown? David, great to hear from you. Thank you for calling. Thank you for listening in Corpus. Uh, 210-599-5555. I, I am one of those people who I've always been a skeptic of the whole public-private partnership and it will strengthen the economy. This is a business, like any other business. You should make decisions about luring businesses, giving abatements to businesses. I mean, there's times for that. There's places for that. But what they do, what the politicians do with sports teams that's different than they do with factories and other kinds of employers is they they work on your um keeping up with the joneses you know nerve and uh the truth is that yes around the country the light the the quote unquote lifespan of sports facilities is way shorter than it used to be so you and i might remember when it was like a mark of pride that your team played in an old facility or the oldest arena or there's all this history, Fenway Park, Wrigley, um, you know, Candlestick Park, you know, things like that. But of course, these places also had disadvantages. Um, you know, Candlestick Park was historic and legendary, but it was an absolutely horrendous place to play baseball. Boston Garden was historic and storied, but it was it was also very cramped and stinky and lacking in amenities and so forth. So I understand at some point you got to modernize. The the life cycle or the turnaround is now really fast. Now when an arena gets to be 20 or 30 years old, it might as well be 100 years old. Uh, and I I think that is keeping up with the Joneses. I don't think that's because a 30-year-old arena is falling down or you can't can't use it anymore, it's unlivable. I don't think that's the case. I mean, I guess there's people that know more about it, but that's how I react to it. Last week we told you about a 90-year-old lady named Fran who... Um, Lost her husband to MS. While he was alive, he had volunteered for the MS Society, and after his death some 30 years ago, she 
continued the work. She has spent 60 years of her life volunteering. She's 90. I mean, if you knew nothing else about a person, that's just a beautiful person. But last week, the story was that the National Multiple Sclerosis Society had fired her. And it's kind of obnoxious to fire a volunteer, but they did because she had asked about, she was confused about pronouns. Her daughter explained that Fran just didn't understand how there could be a man listed on a memo or an email, and then in parentheses, she, her, as the pronouns. She wasn't protesting it or mocking it. She was just asking about it. Which I would think, if you are a believer in declaring pronouns, would be an opportunity. If a person is asking, they want to understand, you get to explain. I'm so old, I remember when asking was a form of respect. Hey, I don't know. Can you explain to me? They took it as hurtful and insulting, and they really brutally cut her loose. And on top of the sort of cruelty of that in itself, I was just kind of blown away by the idiocy of it. Because you know right away how bad that looks. Like, you just can't... I I don't care if you're running an ice cream stand or a charity or a church thing or whatever. You got a 90-year-old, right? I'm going to say it. Call me an ageist. It's different. This person's been alive for almost a century. Find a way to work it out. You just don't fire people when they're 90. You let them down gently if you have to, but you shouldn't even have to. Well, now they've had a massive backlash. You can only, I mean, I won't walk you through it, but they've taken a beatdown. And by the way, who would have ever thought the MS Society would be, would be criticized? I mean, how do you, how do you screw that up? Everybody supports you. Everybody appreciates you. How do you screw that? Well, they did. And now they've thrown in the towel, saying in a statement, they have apologized to, quote, our longtime dedicated volunteer, Fran, quote, we realize now that we made a mistake and we should have had more conversations with Fran before making this decision. We acted at the time with the best intentions. No, you didn't. But we didn't have clear protocols in place. We should have spent more time with Fran to help her understand why, as an organization, we are dedicated to building a diverse and inclusive movement where everyone has equitable access, blah, 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 blah. So even their apology is not an apology. We're just great, and we're just so inclusive, and um, we had the best of... In- Whenever people apologize by saying they had the best of intentions, they've just taken out, they've just hollowed out the apology. Can I tell you, I'm a guy that's had to apologize a lot in his life. 
Part of an apology is just embracing it, rolling around in the mud of your stupidity, letting everyone know, I own this, I am an idiot, I couldn't have been more wrong. I, you know, but this whole, we acted with the best of intentions, just didn't have clear protocols. That's like saying, we really didn't do anything wrong, we just didn't explain it well. We didn't make it look as good as it could have looked. We could have shined this up a little more. No. You you sent a 60-year volunteer who's 90 years old packing over freaking pronouns. And the reason, by the way, that Fran doesn't understand pronouns is because Fran learned actual pronouns in school, like the correct ones. This is probably not going to make sense to young people listening, but there are correct pronouns. Like, there used to be a wrong answer. Like, if you took a quiz and it was like, uh, this is Billy, what are his pronouns? The only correct answer was he, him, his so that's all, Fran. Fran grew up that way. She was educated that way. A lot of us were. The firing should be not of Fran, but whoever at the MS Society has made pronouns more important than, oh, I don't know, multiple sclerosis. Like, I think when you give to the MS Society, correct me if I'm wrong, you're either giving because you want a cure for it or someone in your life is afflicted by it. You probably aren't giving in support of pronoun awareness. Maybe there should be a National Pronoun Awareness Society. There probably already is. As, as I was as that was rolling out of my mouth, I'm like, oh, Jack, there probably already is. 210-599-5555. Um, there was a, a really interesting story in the news out of New York City. I don't know if you've heard this or not. Have you heard about the owl? Don, have you heard about the owl um, in New York? I, you know what? I, the story's familiar. Sounds familiar. <sighs> Last year, and I want to say probably about a year ago, give or take, an owl at the, um, I think it was the Central Park Zoo. Yes. Got out of its yes. cage. Yes. You know this story? Yes, I remember that now. Yes. The owl's name is Flacco. Mm-hmm. And it was actually uh, an act of vandalism. People broke into the zoo. They bent the, the bars on Flacco's cage, and Flacco flew away. And the zoo was mortified because uh, Flacco is a Eurasian eagle owl, a very rare, beautiful bird had been at the zoo for many, many years and needed to be at the zoo because one of the things we forget about zoo animals is they're not ready for the wild. They can't go into the wild. Even if you don't like zoos or agree with zoos, the fact is these animals have been raised and made dependent on their keepers. So there was a well-intentioned effort to find Flacco. You're not going to tell us that something has happened, are you? I'm afraid I am. Flacco flew into a skyscraper and is dead. But let me let me walk you through the story. When Flacco got out and the zoo announced this, 
a lot of the media coverage and the social media was celebratory because they thought that Flacco was free. They thought that Flacco was like a an allegory for the 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 yearning in all of us to break, to break out of our cage and fly free and oh Flacco now can hunt his own food and make his own life and have a maid and go anywhere he wants to go and there were Flacco sightings people would take pictures because he would land on their balcony or their windowsill and um the truth is he wasn't free he was now in a very dangerous place with skyscrapers that look like sky because they're made of glass with predators with food that's poisonous because owls eat mice but in new york city the mice have eaten rat poison so if an owl eats a new york city mouse he eats poison they don't know if that might have been part of what killed flacco because maybe the poison in his system disoriented him and he flew into a skyscraper but here is the the i think the takeaway the people that set him free actually killed him because he had to be at the zoo he knew no other life new york city is not this isn't mutual of omaha's wild kingdom it's not a a sanctuary for owls and so in freeing him they killed him basically they let him loose in the most dangerous city in America, not only for owls, but for people. He wasn't thriving and celebrating and enjoying his freedom. He was doomed to the end that he met. The, 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 they interviewed the zoo people, and they were like, we knew this would happen. We were afraid this would happen. They, by the way, to their credit, never participated in the whole, yay for flock. They, they were serious all the way along. We need to get him. We need to get him back. It's, it's vital for him. Um, now you wonder what will happen to the vandals. Have they been caught? Anybody know who they are? Is there surveillance camera footage? But remember, this is New York City. The last thing they have any time for is the prosecution of an actual crime. They're too busy inventing crimes and saving democracy and distorting the next election. Say, you know, I mean, Flacco's going to have to, Flacco's going to have to wait. But I thought it was an interesting, I'm sorry, I know that was not the ending you wanted, Don, but no, but it kind of no, sums up, in, in a way, sad, it kind of sums up the way we think about a lot of stuff yeah. nowadays. The, the, the so-called freeing of Flacco really was, yeah. was his demise. <laughs> But I'm I'm reading a little bit about this story, and there is a silver lining apparently, because Flacco's death is Not now for Flacco. Yeah, for, well, apparently so, for, because his death is now calling calling attention to bird strikes, and they're looking on the, how to prevent them with other well, flying well, animals. You, but I mean, you, you can't. The buildings are made of glass; they look exactly. like sky. Yes. I mean, birds fly into our windows at home. I, I have birds hit my windows at home, and I don't live in a high rise. I live in a one story house, but they hit my windows. I'd say once a month at least. It looks it looks like nothing. Um, New York City. What are you going to do? You're going to tear down New York City? I don't know. You can, I, I mean, not you, but I mean, what no, what can they right. do about that? Nothing. Well, apparently they're saying that um, it's one of the easiest threats they you know to solve 
I'll tell you what would be interesting if somebody started to point out how many birds are being killed by windmills and wind turbines. Because uh, that's also a, a, mm-hmm. a, a sort of, they don't want to talk about it with the green energy people, right. but the the apparently, from what I've read, the slaughter of birds at those wind farms where you see like, you know, dozens or hundreds of, of wind turbines in one place, apparently that's like a major bite out of the ecosystem. Right. Trump brought attention to that. But yeah, he does, yeah, so... <laughs> I, 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 I'm afraid I won't be able to share your optimism, Don, that New York City is going to fix the, the owl problem. I, I'm glad. It's, it's a beautiful thought, but things aren't so great on the ground, so I don't think they're going to get a whole lot better up in the sky. You know what today is, by the way? Um, I don't know of anybody else who would mention this. I feel like I ought to at least mention it. For what it's worth, today is the birthday of the Communist Manifesto. Today is the day that Karl Marx and was the other guy Engels published the Communist Manifesto, and it's probably been the most destructive book about economics, and maybe the most destructive book about anything in the modern history of the published word. You know, if you if you think about modern publishing and printing presses, the last few hundred years, the era of the you know, widely available book, the bestseller, uh, probably the Communist Manifesto right up there. Henry Hazlitt, the late Henry Hazlitt, who um, we've quoted in the past, said this about Karl Marx. His entire gospel can be summed up in a single sentence, hate the man who is better off than you are. Never under any circumstance admit that his success may be due to his own efforts, to the productive contribution he has made to the whole community. Always attribute his success to the exploitation, the cheating, the more or less open robbery of others. Never under any circumstances admit that your own failure may be owing to your own weakness or that the failure of anyone else may be due to his own defects, his laziness, incompetence, improvidence, or stupidity. That's really the the damage that the Communist Manifesto and communism did. It's We think of it like the governments, the regimes, but really what communism did that was toxic was it told a lot of small people that they were great, that they were only small or poor or failed because other people had succeeded. It gave them that out, and that was a powerful thing. It's changed the world.